Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Amen. It's great to see everyone. I always love this service, along with you, I trust, because we get to see relatives and folks coming into town, and we get to meet people that we hadn't met before. So welcome, everyone, to Highlands. Welcome to Christmas Eve. We love seeing the children. I had a chance to, to just see those wide eyes and that joy and talk to a few of them before the service. And it's just a, a great night to be in God's house, and the love of God is here because Christ has come for us. I'd like to begin by quoting from a hymn story. On December 24th, 1865, right as the Civil War had come to a close, on Christmas Eve of that year, the most dynamic pastor in America was in the Holy Land. Phillips Brooks was his name. He was the pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia. And he was considered as America's pastor, uh, much like Billy Graham or maybe today when this was written before Rick Warren. Maybe Rick Warren would be America's pastor in the media today. Uh, but this, this man, Phillips Brooks, was so respected that he was chosen to give the funeral message for Abraham Lincoln. And the war had come to an end and, and then Lincoln was assassinated. And with the responsibilities of a congregation uh, of an attendance of over a thousand people, Phillips Brooks was worn down and he was burned out. He was desperately in need of some rest and he was given a sabbatical. And so on Christmas Eve of that same year, 1865, he was in the Holy Land. He was in Jerusalem and he decided that night that he wanted to borrow a horse to make the six-mile horse ride from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They didn't want to get in the horse. They told him that it was kind of dangerous to go out in the night, that that particular road uh, had some thieves that uh, often lurked. But he really felt like he should go. He felt like the Lord was calling him to do this. So he got up on the horse and he rode out into the night. Phillips Brooks had one of those aha moments that we have in life. One of those moments that kind of is imprinted on our brain and, and that we can see over and over uh, as time goes on. It was a very clear night that night as he rode the horse from uh, Jerusalem to Bethlehem and as he, he got up to the place where this little village was in view, he was just left speechless. And he thought to himself, this is the place? It was so tiny. It was just a, a tiny little village. And, and I'm sure that at that time in 1865, it probably looked not too dissimilar from the way it looked when Jesus was, was born there. You know, it was before all the cars and everything else and all the, the, the modern things that we've got going on now. But um, he thought to himself, God entered the world here. He just sat there on the horse and he stared at this little village thinking about that connector between heaven and earth right there in front of him. Three years later, he was preparing for the Christmas Sunday in his church. He was trying to write a sermon and uh, he had a moment of inspiration and, and the, this inspiration came from him kind of thinking through 
that night, three years earlier, when he rode the horse out to Bethlehem. And, and on the, his mind's eye, as he was inspired, he wrote these words. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Now, of course, we know the rest of the words to that hymn. We sung that hymn tonight. Now, it is a fact that though Christmas was announced by legions and legions of God's angels with the bigness of heavenly choirs, and though later Jesus' birth and his early years were attended by great scholars, magi, eastern kings as they are called, and, and there's just something huge about all of that. There's something beautifully small, nevertheless, about Christmas. And what I want you to see tonight is that Christmas is big enough for God and small enough for me and you. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. In the Christmas story, we read in verse 3, and they all went up to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he was there to be registered with his wife Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. One scholar states, if you were going to put together a site selection committee for where you wanted the king to be born, Bethlehem would not even be on your radar screen. And here's the reason why. Because this is the king of kings. This is the lord of lords. And this place has very little political significance. And this little town really created no commercial interest or, or buzz. It was not really known for much culturally. It did not have a large educational institution. No, if, if you were going to have a site selection committee to choose where God's son would be born, if you were really trying to make a splash, you'd choose someplace like Rome, you see. Or maybe Athens, or maybe Alexandria, Egypt. But uh, no, God chose this, this small town, this little town, of Bethlehem. In local terms, it'd be like God choosing Raymond, Mississippi instead of Jackson or something like that. If you're from Raymond, no offense. We read in Micah 5 and 2, the Lord saying, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. You see, God chose a small, persecuted, often beat up group of people, the Jews, to be His people. Out of which the Savior of the world, the King of Kings, would come. And here we see a small common man, he's a carpenter from a small town. His lineage town is Bethlehem. He has been living in a small town up in Galilee called Nazareth. And, and, and we see him and his wife and this child in the womb. We see them traveling alone 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 
They're traveling because the great man of that day, the great man, Caesar Augustus, has said that it shall be so. And a census is taken of the entire Roman world, which causes her great with child to have to be carried on the back of a donkey to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And there's no motorcade that meets them, or maybe we should say cavalry for that period of time. No, just a husband on foot, 90 miles, and a wife who is hugely pregnant, just bumping along, one donkey hoof beat, one step after another, one husband step after another. And what we see is that God came to a poor couple, not an influential couple. God came when He wanted to introduce His Son, the Messiah, the Savior to the world. God came to the small, not the great. And we see them there at night on that lonely road, one step in front of another. It's so small you almost get the feeling that they're coming in secret. They're not coming in secret. Nobody really cares. Because they are a carpenter and his wife from Galilee, from Nazareth. And evidently, no one is there to meet them. At least we don't read that any relatives meet them at the, the city limits of, of Bethlehem. She is so great with child they can't even find a room they can't find motel six doesn't even have room Uh, there's no there's no room at the locally owned motor inn or just inn in those days the king david hotel the king david hilton is booked and they couldn't afford it anyway in verse seven we read and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and she laid him in a feed trough in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. You see, the little town wasn't receiving any big people that night. Joseph and Mary were little people. They were regular people, like me and you. Christmas, though it is gigantic, is smaller than you think. And what does it show us? It shows us that He has come for all of us. All kinds of people. It shows us that God became lowly to come to those who are lowly, to raise them up. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 remind us of this. Paul is speaking to people in Corinth as the gospel has gone out, but he reminds them of of just what it was like at that time. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence 
of God. He didn't come for just big people. He didn't come to Rome to make a splash. And secondly, he didn't come for just good people either. Didn't come for big people. Didn't come for good people. And it's the second part of this Christmas story that that we recognize something that is absolutely extraordinary. If you lived at that time, if you were in this culture, you would understand how seismographic these words are, how odd this is, how strange and unusual this is. It has to do with who God first announced the birth of Messiah to. And you know who that was, right? We read it earlier. He he announced the birth of his son to shepherds. We read earlier that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were filled with fear and the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for everybody, for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David is born the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on whom He is pleased. But why shepherds? You see, shepherds were not considered people of integrity as a group at that time. In fact, shepherds as a class were looked down upon so consistently that they were considered unclean and not fit to come to the worship of God's God's people of God in the temple itself. So why in the world would God announce the birth in this little town to this poor couple in a barn, to shepherds. Because it's simply that God did not come for good people. I'm not saying these shepherds were you know, particularly bad, but they were in a class of people. That if you wanted to impress people with news, you wouldn't go to them first. And he's saying it loud and clear to the, the culture of the Bible. I've come for you. Even shepherds can be a part of my people. Jesus would put it this way 31 years later in his earthly ministry in Luke 5:31 for he says those who are well in quotes I put in quotes those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick I have not come to call righteous people but sinners to repentance. The idea that God came to little people is comforting to me tonight. The idea that God came to shepherds is comforting to me tonight because it means that He came for helpless sinners who need Him. That's who He came for. He came for people like us who need life, who need love, who need joy. And a reason to praise. 
He came for people like us. And finally, all of this shows us how humble God is and with what humility salvation is received and lived in. You see, He came for those who would receive Him with a humble heart. This whole, this whole thing just screams humility, doesn't it? I mean, God? Born in a what? To who? Announced to who? God lowers Himself. I can't even put my hand high enough, and I can't even put this hand low enough. Just infinity. There's just not a measurement for how far God condescended to become one of us, to be born one of us. Born in a barn, fast forward 33 years, God in Christ crucified on a cross. No self-respecting Jew would be crucified on a cross. Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. But you see, a humble God, a great God, nobody like Him, unmatched in power, in knowledge, in glory, in wisdom, is a humble God who offers salvation only to those who are humble enough to see that they need it. And humble enough to lay down all their effort to impress and simply receive it. What He has done, breaking into this world in this little town of Bethlehem. Let me put this picture together. Uh, I'd like to do a Google Earth on this, okay? Do you all know what Google Earth is? Okay, Google Earth. All right, we're going to start. We can see. Can you see this? The the uh, the Earth. It's round. It's it's beautiful. And now we're gonna we're gonna zoom in, and we're like coming down in the clouds. Have y'all ever done Google Earth? You'll have to do Google Earth. You're probably going. I don't know what you're even talking about. But uh, you'll maybe you can do it later. But it's just zooming in from a satellite is what it is, and it takes you all the way down to street level. It's incredible. Better be watch what you're doing on the street, by the way, because uh, they're watching up there. But, uh, okay, Google Earth is starting, and there's the, the ball called the Earth. Don't you wish we could start Google Earth? We could kind of turn it back up this way and see the throne room of God with Google Earth. Because that's where Jesus came from. But Google Earth doesn't go into the throne room of God, so we're going to have to settle for the Earth. And so we're coming down into the earth like, where are we coming? Now we're coming through the clouds. Everything's coming into view. And we're coming down. Whoa, there's Europe. There's the Middle East. There's Africa. We're going to go to Rome. No, we're not going to Rome. No, we're not going to Athens. No, we're not going to Alexandria. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Nope. We are veered. Now we're on street level in Bethlehem. Now why are we here? Well, now we're on street level. Now we're going to find what we're looking for. And so we're going to go looking in the end. No, we're not looking in the end. Where? What? A barn? People? Sleeping? And there we see this young couple loving their baby in this barn that turned out to be a delivery suite and a hospital room and a hotel room all wrapped up into one 
And it's so small. And it's so rough. And it's so humble. And it's God there. If you feel insignificant, then you need to go to Bethlehem. You need to go to that barn and you need to see you are not insignificant. You're so significant that God came down and included you. You are wildly significant because God has sent His Son for us. You feel ashamed here tonight? You feel like You've wasted something in your life. You feel like maybe God wouldn't want you anymore. You need to go back to Bethlehem. You need to go back and see that the tidings of this good news came to shepherds. That He came for sinners. It's for you. Christmas is smaller than you think. And it is God with us. It is Christ for us. And this, dear people, is the tidings of joy that we call Christmas. Let me end by quoting one of the verses of a song that we're going to sing right away. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from Thy holy face, with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at Thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to see Christmas? Would you help us to see that there are no insignificant people and there's no one outside of your ability to forgive and love? Would you help us as the needy to be those who rejoice in grace this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.